Well, I was sitting at breadboard this week. It was actually yesterday with my daughter and um, enjoying. They have a new pulled pork sandwich, and so I thought I'd try that. And, and so I ordered that pulled pork sandwich on a sourdough, sitting there and enjoying conversation with my daughter. And I heard uh, a siren off in the distance, and I could tell it was coming my, our way. <clears throat> and I craned my neck and looked out the window because I really, I, sirens, they're supposed to get your attention and they for some reason get my attention in a big way. And all of a sudden I saw a little red truck go by and it said rural, rural land or rural fire and fire rescue and it was taken off. It was one of the smaller trucks. It wasn't one of the bigger ones. And then shortly behind that, another one came by and I was watching it and thinking about it and um, as I was thinking about it, I thought about my childhood. And the picture that came to my mind was my father. Um, and every time my father heard an, a, a, a siren, and a particularly a fire truck siren, what do you think he did? That was a real spiritual answer. He, he didn't pray. He said, kids, come jump in the car. We're following the fire truck. So we'd all ramble in the back seat and we'd get in there and my dad would, where's the smoke? Look for the smoke because if we find the smoke, we'll find the fire truck. And we're trying to weave through traffic and not break the laws, but, you know, stay within the distance behind him and try to keep out of the way of the other fire trucks coming. My dad was a professional fire chaser. <laughs> and as I saw those trucks go by, man, my heart started beating and I thought about my dad and I wanted to say to Phoebe, Phoebe, let's jump in the truck and find where the fire is. <laughs> Now, I know we have a couple of firefighters in our congregation here, and they get to jump in the trucks and drive them down and go to the fires and go in the fires and put out the fires. And, well, they're some of my heroes, and I'm, I'm so thankful for them. Um, not, not too long ago, it was a couple of months ago, I can't remember exactly when, but down on Main Street there was a structure that caught on fire. I think it was the, our local, one of our local catering uh, businesses. <clears throat> And what I heard was there were a lot of people that came out to see it burn. They came from everywhere because they were curious. And, and isn't it true um, that when we hear a fire truck, well, it's true with me because I already told you that and I already confessed that. But usually when we fear, see and hear a fire truck going down the road, we know there's going to be a fire. And how many of you in this congregation, we're just going to be brutally honest this morning, when you see that, you think, I wonder where that fire, wa- fire is and I want to go see it. All right, so we have some fire chasers. We might have some firefighters. But wherever there's a fire, it seems to draw a crowd. And um, uh, when we go camping and someone builds a fire and it's, it's a cold night and the fire is roaring, what happens? Everybody comes around the fire and they warm themselves with the fire. And when I think of all these stories about fires and chasing fire trucks and camping fires and stuff like that, it brings to my attention who God is. When God shows up in our lives in a real way, he often shows up uh, in a dramatic way. He shows up in churches. He shows up on street, streets. He shows up, on, shows up in different kinds of establishment. He shows up in tent revivals. And uh, the power of God is something that, that draws people to, themselves, to, to him, his power. When his power is shown and when people sense he's around, 
it, it seems to draw a crowd. And our scripture for this morning comes from, we're going to have multiple scriptures, but our main scripture comes from Hebrews 12, 28 and 29, and it says, Therefore, since you have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Throughout scripture, we see different examples of how God uh, is a consuming fire. God is eternal, and we know that. God is immortal, and we know that. God is invisible, and that's the truth. But the one thing we often forget is God is self-revealing. God wants to reveal himself to us. He wants us to know who he is. And sometimes I think that we have this sense that God is kind of like incognito. We know he's here, but God doesn't want to be incognito in our lives. God wants to show up in our lives. The real truth is that God longs, he longs to be a part of our lives each and every day. He's, crea- he's created us in such a way that, that we have a longing for him. I'm going to take you back to the story of Adam and Eve. Remember that story? God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. The first man and the first woman, they had the ability or the privilege of walking with God in the cool of the day. And it shows us that God wants to be with us. Now, he doesn't want to be distant. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't want... He doesn't want for us to sense that he's not around. He wants us to know that he's around. And so from the beginning of Scripture with Adam and Eve to the last book in Revelation where we, hear, where we read stories and we see that when the new Jerusalem comes and when we all are in the new Jerusalem, guess who's going to be there? Jesus is going to be there. God's going to be there. And we're going to walk with him. And he is going to be in our presence eternal. I'd like to take a, take a look at a couple people in, in, in Scripture, people who met God. And the first person I want to talk about is a man by the name of Moses. Now, you know the story of Moses. You know the story of Moses back in, in, uh, in the wasteland, probably in higher desert land or higher wilderness, kind of like we are. And he is tending uh, the flock of his, uh, of his father-in-law his father-in-law to be. And most, more than likely, he has a herd of sheep or maybe some camels. And he's out there on this far, far-flung wilderness uh, with bushes, and I can imagine like sage bushes around. And every day he walks out and he takes the livestock out. And, and um, he knows that God is there. Uh, he, he knows that God is present. But... He's not so aware of God's presence until one day he's out there walking around and he's probably thinking, these dumb sheep, man, oh man, every day I have to come out. I wish they wouldn't have to be fed every day. But And all of a sudden, something catches his attention and it's a burning bush. And he's going, what in the world? There's not a cloud in the sky, no lightning anywhere. What is that? And he starts to take some steps towards that. And as he takes some steps towards that, he hears a voice. And Exodus 3, verse 2 and following says this, Until now you have 
Ask nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in the midst of a bush. And he looked and beheld the bush was burning. And yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will not turn aside to see this great thing. Why the bush, I will, I will turn aside and see this great thing, why this bush is not burning. And when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see God, see, God called to him out, called out to him out of the, out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. And then he, he, and then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off of your feet, for the place which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Moses' life was forever changed when he encountered God in the burning bush. God on fire. Anybody want to get up and go look at the fire? There's a fire happening somewhere out there. And if you're a volunteer fireman, you need to go. I understand. Just get up and go. Um, Next person we want to look at is Abraham. Abraham heard the voice of God throughout his life. Often, God spoke with Abraham. But Abraham one day had a vision. Um, And and in the vision, God told him, or in, in, in in a conversation prior to the vision, God told him to go out out of the tent and look up into the sky and that God was going to bless him with offspring as many as he could count in the stars of the sky. And then God told him, I want to make a covenant between you and me. And he he gave a specific order of what he would do and it involved uh, sacrificing sacrificing livestock, cutting them in half and laying the two, two halves apart. And then in his vision, he saw God in a smoldering pot of smoke and a burning torch passed between the two pieces of sacrifice. And from that point on, Abraham's life was totally and radically changed. He knew that God in his covenant promise had showed up to him and he had seen God visibly through the smoking pot and the, and the torch that was on fire. And we find that in Genesis 15, uh, 15, verse 17. Then King David. King David in his time was a man that God called a man after my own heart. But there was a time in King David's life when early on he decided that, that contrary to what God had asked him to do, he was going to take a census. God said, don't count the people. I don't want you to count the people. But David was curious and he wanted to count the people. And so he sent his, peop- his advisors out and had them count the people and bring back uh, the number of how many people were there. And um, when, when they came back, then, uh, <clears throat> then the Lord came to David. He sent his messenger to David and he said, David, you have sinned against me. And because you've sinned against me, you are going to be punished. And he gave him three different kinds of punishment. And the punishments aren't important. They are important, but ultimately what David decided to do is he would rather place himself in the hand of God than the hand of men. And so for three days, God brought a plague of death upon the people. And on the third day, God said, that's enough. 
to the death angel. And uh, he came to David and he said, David, I want you to go up to a given place and I want you to make an offering and a sacrifice to me. And so David went up to the fresh, fleshing floor and the man was there and he said, uh, I need to make an offering right here because this is where God told me to do it. And the man said, you can have it and I'll give you the livestock. And David said, no, I will not sacrifice to God what does not cost me something. And so he paid an, an exorbitant amount of, of money in gold to this particular man who was a property owner and purchased it. And then he took the, the animals that God had asked him to take and he, he uh, sacrificed them and burned them. And as he was sacrificing them, um, fire, the fire of God fell out of heaven and consumed the whole offering, sacrifice, altar, everything, just like that. And David's life was forever changed because he knew God had been present and that God had forgiven him and that God had manifested himself to him right then and there. And so David's life was present when he was, was changed, when he, when he came in contact with God. In a, and, that's, and we find that in, in the First Chronicles 21, verse 26 and forward. And then King Saul. King Saul built an extravagant temple and the temple was for God, and he offered thousands and thousands and thousands of animals on them, of all kinds, and they were slain that day. And the people were there worshiping God and praying to God, and the scripture tells us that Solomon was down on his knees with his hands raised in the air. He was down on his knees. He wasn't on one knee, he was on both knees. His hands were raised in the air. And God fell down from earth in a consuming fire. And he, he licked up every single animal and everything that was sacrificed. And it was gone, just like that. Probably nothing less than ashes and dust. Even if there were ashes and dust. But the interesting thing is, it said that everybody was like frozen. Because God's presence was shown there that day. And nobody could even move a finger that day because they realized that they had been in the presence of God. Isaiah. Isaiah was in that same temple that, that uh, Solomon, King Solomon built and he was worshiping God and during one of his days when he's worshiping God, all of a sudden he heard a loud voice. And I don't know if it was a rumble. I don't know if it was a high pitch. I don't know, but... The scripture says that he heard angels and they were crying out, Holy, 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 holy. And the footers of the temple were beginning to shake because the presence of God was there and the angels were crying out, Holy, holy, holy. And Isaiah fell and he said, Woe is me. A man of unclean lips. Because he was in the presence of God and he knew God was present. And one of the angels went over, took a pair of tongs, and grabbed a coal off the altar and put it to his mouth. And he cleansed Isaiah by doing that. And now Isaiah was holy before God. And God said, who will go for me? Who may I send with my message? And Isaiah said, here am I, Lord, send me. Why could Isaiah do that? 
Because Isaiah had been in the presence of the Almighty God. And God wanted to show Himself to to Isaiah that day. And now we move from the Old Testament into the New Testament. And there was a man that most of you know, and his name was Paul. And Paul was on, on his way to a city called Damascus. And he was going to go and he was going to annihilate the church of Jesus Christ. Those who were followers of Christ, he knew there were people there. And he was going to go there. And before his name was Paul, his name was Saul. And he was riding along. And, and all of a sudden there was a huge bright light. It was so bright that it was stunning. And he went completely blind and fell on the ground. And then the scripture tells us in Acts 9, verse 4 through 5, it said, And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And Saul became Paul that day because he met God, the God of fire, God who presented himself in a miraculous way. And you know what? Because of that encounter that Paul had with Jesus Christ, that encounter that Paul had with God, that manifest presence of God, history was completely changed. We've just been speaking over the last six to eight months about a church called the Church in Corinth. And Paul, after he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, planted the church in Corinth. And we've had the privilege of learning about what God did and is doing and has done in the church of Corinth and how that applies to our life. That happened because Paul met God in a miraculous way. And I don't want to stop there. I just want to bring our attention to one more. And that is that there were 120 people in what the scripture calls the upper room. And they were in a prayer meeting. And, and, and Christ had, had, uh, had already gone to heaven and he told him, when I go to heaven, then, I, then come and stay here in this upper room and pray and I will, I will come upon you. And they were there in a, in a prayer meeting. And during that prayer meeting, the Holy Spirit showed up. God manifested himself in a miraculous way. And in Acts 2, 3, it says, And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. The church started in the manifest presence of God. And that's where the church started. And because of that day, because God showed up in that prayer meeting of 120 people in the upper room, Today we sit here in Lander, praising and worshiping the resurrected Christ, our Lord and our Savior. It started there because God came and showed Himself. And each of these examples given today, you'll notice one thing. Well, you might notice two things. And most every single time God showed up in some kind of a miraculous fire or bright light. But the interesting thing is that nobody throughout history who saw God show up in that way started worshiping fire. Because fire was not what needed to be worshipped. 
And fire is never what needs to be worshipped. And the manifestation of God in our congregation, in our own hearts, is not what needs to be worshipped. It's God and God alone. And that's who we worship today. We worship God. And so God, who was normally invisible, became visible in the fire and in the flame to the examples I've given to you. The most important thing is, the most important thing is that no matter what, we focus on God. When God shows up in our lives, our focus is on Him. When God shows up in our lives, our worship is always to Him. When God shows up in our lives, our attention is always towards God. It's not towards how He shows up. I want to give you an example in my own life. I was... I think I was 10 or 11 years of age, and, um, and I was overseas in Indonesia. My parents were missionaries over there, and um, we were having a series of services. My parents were involved in a series of services, and they were outdoor services because there wasn't a building large enough. And we had a, uh, an evangelist, his name was Octavianos, and he was preaching every night. And, and um, the first night, the presence of God moved in miraculous ways and people who were demonized were set free and there were people who, uh, I remember there was one lady, she had tuberculosis and, and they prayed for her and boom, it was gone. And There were people who were lame and they, they were healed and the news went through, through the whole area. And so hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people were pouring in because they wanted to see the fire. Like when the siren goes off, we want to go see the fire but what they wanted to see is God moving, this miraculous. They, they'd never seen it in their lives. And God had showed up those nights. And I remember it was the last night. And I was back behind everything in a car with my mom. And we were there because my mom was part of a, a group of people who were praying. You see, every single one of these times that, that, I, that I have seen God manifested himself manifest himself or present himself to me or I've seen it it's been after there's been a time of prayer it's really interesting how that works and so my mom was back there praying and she was kind of coaching us and we were praying for the, the speaker and I remember looking up and there were these dark clouds that started rolling in and man in Papua whenever the dark clouds move, roll in they're not it's not like lander dark clouds roll in and keep going but in Papua, when they roll in, you're fitting to get really wet. And it was night, and there were a couple thousand people out there. And I know people were, I remember they were looking around, and then they were looking forward. And Indonesians hate to get wet. They just absolutely hate it. They think that, that it's, there's evil in that, and so they don't like especially from rain. And I remember Octaviano standing up, putting his hands up, and praying over the people, and then crying out to God, and asking God that no one there would leave, and that no one there would be wet. He didn't ask for the clouds to go away. He didn't ask for the rain to go away. He asked that nobody would be wet. And I was sitting in the back with my mom behind the whole crowd in a car, and I saw it start raining. And I was looking around, and nobody was running. And I looked up again, and the rain clouds, the rain was coming down, 
And wherever the people were, whether they were standing or sitting, it was about 12 inches, and it stopped just above their heads. And then right behind us and on both sides, water was just pouring off. Torrents of water were pouring off. And nobody was moving. Nobody was moving. The manifest presence, God our Father, was there that night. And hundreds of people had their lives radically changed. Because God stopped the rain over their heads and they didn't even know it. They didn't see it. They didn't know what was going on. My mom and I were back and we were just like, what in the world? Why aren't they going? And they weren't looking up. They were looking forward and listening to what what the evangelist was, what the preacher was preaching. And they poured forward. and People were healed and, and and people gave their lives to Christ that day. And they were completely and totally and utterly changed from that day forward. I remember one time April and I were involved in a, in a ministry with young people. It was about 10 years ago, and, and uh, it was coming towards the end. And then the Spirit of God came upon us in that room. And every young person got out of their seat, and they went prostrate before God with their faces on the ground. And I was behind the curtain, and I was watching because I was running the sound, and I'm going, what in the world? And there was this holy hush that just came over. And then I began to hear it started ever so softly. Someone over here started sobbing, and someone over here started crying. And then pretty soon someone in the middle was crying, and the next thing I knew, people were totally ruined. Because God was there. And they began to confess sin that they had hidden so deep in their lives. It was because Christ had presented himself. His presence was so thick you could cut it with a knife. And, and I was thinking to myself, this must have been what the disciples felt when they were on the mountain. And I just wanted, I didn't want anybody to leave. I just wanted to just, just, to, just to stay there. And, and, and it went on for a long time. God's manifest presence was there. We had prayed and He showed up. Now God's presence is everywhere. The scripture tells us and reminds us that God is omnipresent. And what I've been talking about, the manifest presence is different than the omnipresence of God. God promised us that He will be with us forever at all times. In Matthew 28, 20, He says teaching them to observe that all I have commanded you, and behold, I will be with you always to the ends of the earth. He tells us that he will not forsake us, Joshua 1.9, for, I, for I, I, have com- I have not commanded you, have I not commanded you, sorry, be strong and, courage, and of courage. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. There's no way we can get away from the Spirit of God. He is always present, omnipresence. Psalms 139 verses 7 and 8 says, Where where shall I go from your Spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. And if I make my bed in shale, you're there. The interesting thing about God's omnipresence is that It benefits everybody. And I'm going to make a statement, and I don't want you to take it wrong, 
But the truth is that God's omnipresence isn't just with those of us who are followers of Christ. God's omnipresence are with Muslims, they're with Buddhists, they're with Hindus, they're with atheists, they're with the most vile person that's locked up and incarcerated in the, in the prison systems we have. They're with the ones who have committed heinous crimes that are still alive today. God's presence is there. It's not a seen presence because our God is omnipresent. He's always there. You can't get away from Him. He's always there. Now the manifest presence of God is totally different. It's impossible to miss the manifest presence of God. You can miss the omnipresence of God because He's right here. He's out there in the parking lot with you where you are. But the manifest presence of God is something that you will never, ever miss. You remember I talked about Moses? He walked past that bush every single day. God was with him. God was present with him. But when that bush burst on fire, the manifest presence of God was there that day. And that caught Moses' attention, and his life was forever changed because he heard and he saw God visibly. There's a man, his name is A.W. Tozer, great man. In the book Pursuit of God, he says, the presence and the manifestation of the presence are two, are two the same. There can, be one, there can be one without the other. God is here when we are wholly unaware of it. He is manifest only when and as we are aware of his presence. You get that? He's always here. But he's only manifest when we know of his presence. I, I came across this uh, chart that was put together by a gentleman by the name of uh, Fred Hartley. Really uh, great guy. Um, and he often talks about the manifest presence of God. And so he's made this chart, and I, I, I think it's up here. And it talks about the omnipresence of God and the manifest presence of God and the differences. And the omnipresence of God and the manifest presence of God, it's very biblical. The omnipresence of God and the manifest presence of God, it's real. Omnipresence of God is true to God's nature. Manifest presence of God is true to His nature. Omnipresence, God is everywhere. Manifest presence, God is tangibly tangibly present. Omnipresence, generally theoretical. Manifest presence, generally transformational. When God shows up in His manifest presence, there will be a transformation. Omnipresence, available to all, normally for Christians only, for manifest presence. Omnipresence is universal. Manifest presence, it's God selecting who he wants to show himself to. Omnipresence, absolutely no repair, prayer required because he's always here. Manifest presence normally happens during or after a time of prayer. Omnipresence, generally impersonal. Manifest presence, highly personal. God becomes highly personal to us. In omnipresence, it's abstract. And manifest presence, it's very specific. 
an omnipresence. God is always with us. Obedience is rare. But when God manifests himself, obedience is required. In the same book where I got this chart, Fred writes, The greatest tragedy in the church today is that we have confused the distinction between God's omnipresence and his manifest presence. God's purpose is for the flame of his manifest presence to be the power cell of the church. It is the single factor that distinguishes the church from the Kiwanis Club or the sports bar. The reason the church is in crisis today is because we have settled for the omnipresence rather than the manifest presence of God. Because the church has not only blurred the distinction between the omnipresence and the manifest presence of God, but has replaced one with the other. It's, is it any wonder that we are, as a church in America, in crisis? And I'm going to say something here that may boggle your mind. Every month, 1,500 pastors leave the ministry due to moral failure. 75% of pastors still in ministry today admit to a pornographic habit. Each year, 3,500 to 4,000 churches close their doors, losing millions of people to nominalism or secularism. The real tragedy is not that people are leaving the church in such large numbers. The real tragedy is that people have been in church and have not known the manifest presence of God. Let's say it again. The tragedy is not that people are leaving the church in those numbers. The tragedy is that those same people have been sitting in pews like we have and they have not known the manifest presence of God. That's the tragedy. God is, has made it in all of us to want to know Him. You see, God is always present. He's present with Buddhists and Hindus. He's present with those who are, who, who are worshiping thousands of gods. He's present in Lander High School while we're watching a ball game, whether it's football or basketball or we're at a swimming meet. He's present. But His omnipresence is what we're missing. He's promised He'll hear us if we'll cry out to Him. In John 16, 24, He said, Until now you have asked nothing in My name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. In Matthew 21, 22, He said, Whatever things you ask in My name, believing, you will receive. And asks, Acts 1, 8, He said, You will receive power. It's a promise from God. In John 20, 22, He said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 4.16, he says, I love this verse, Come boldly to the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy and find grace. These are more than promises from God. God wants us to cry out to Him. He wants us to know His manifest presence among us. Now, His manifest presence won't always show up the exact same way. I want you to know that. Now, let me give you a list of some ways, and this is a very limited list of how God's manifest presence shows up to us. And He shows up to us in, in uniquely individual ways. He shows up to us in answers to prayer, 
Bible verses he applies to our heart. We might have a vision. We might have a dream. We might see healing. God will give us counsel. There will be words of wisdom and knowledge. There will even be tongues followed by interpretation. God will allow people to prophesy. There will be miracles. God's, the Bible's promises are applied to our lives. We'll have divine appointments. There will be conviction of sin, repentance, and deliverance, and reconciliation. And these are just a few of the things that could or would or will happen when you see the manifest presence of God. Down through the history, God has manifested His presence to all kinds of people. John Edward, one of the leaders of the Great Awakening, called it Holy Spirit infusion. Some call it the indwelling of God with man. Evan Roberts, one of the leaders of the great Welsher revival, called it the divine fire or glory filling the land. I've heard people call it the Shekinah glory of God coming down. These are all the ways that, God, that men have attempted to describe the manifest presence of God through history. Time, it's time now for us to begin to be serious about the manifest presence of God. It's time for us to start prayer. It's time for us here at Lander to create an upper room. Just like 120 people waited before God for His manifest presence to come, I believe that's what we need here in Lander. We need it here. I need it in my own life. And Pastor Ken and I have been praying over the last couple of weeks, Lord, your kingdom come in our lives. Lord, your kingdom come in this congregation. Lord, your kingdom come in all of Lander. That's been our prayer. Another prayer we've been praying is that God would come and visit us with a spirit of repentance and revival. It's got to start among us. It's got to start among God's people. Those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ. The truth is, God is omnipresent. But the fact is, that God wants to be manifest presence in our lives and the lives of others around us. I'm going to give one last illustration and it happened this week to me. I was on the phone talking to my mother, and we were talking about this particular subject, the manifest presence of God. And she was explaining that, she said, it's like when you expect a guest to come to your house, you, you take the coffee table and you clean it all off and you dust everything and you get everything ready and then you sit and you wait. And she said, that's kind of what we need to do. We need to have the coffee table that place where we're most comfortable, clean and ready and waiting on God. Is your coffee table clean and ready? Are you waiting on Him? And as she was talking about that, and we were talking about the manifest presence of God, this has rarely happened to me, but it happened to me this week. I had, I had this vision and I'm, I'm very confident it was God. And I saw him looking down, and he had a huge smile on his face. 
And then he started to laugh. And then I heard, you're getting it. My son, I love you. You're getting it. You're beginning to understand. And then that went away. And then about 30 seconds later, I, I saw this same person. And he was in a big floor. And he was dancing around. And dancing around. And he was so happy. He was just dancing with joy over me. I experienced the manifest presence of God. He was there. He was there in that office right there. I can't get it out of my mind. And I just want more. I want more of God. And I want to say to you today that it's time for us to push in and to bear in and to lean in and ask God to present Himself to us. And I, that was my last illustration, but there's one more. I, I just came to my mind and I have to share it. We were in Billings at the Advance with men. And we were in a restaurant. And the presence of God was there. And there was a busboy that God led us to begin to pray for. He was going to go off to the military in two or three weeks. And God laid six men on their hearts to begin to pray for this young man. And we cried out for 45 minutes for him and for this church and for all kinds of needs. It was spontaneous. It was amazing. It was such a sweet time to be with men who were crying out to God with hearts of expectation that God was going to change us and he was going to move among us. We left the restaurant, went to the room. We were out there yakking, and all of a sudden someone says, let's pray. Ah, here it goes again. We began to pray. And you could sense the presence of God. It was so hard for me to fall asleep that night because I was like, this is what it's about. This is what it's about, men and women. Realizing that it's not the omnipresence, but it's the manifest presence of God that we're after. Him tangible. Him here with us. He, he has it for us, folks. And He wants, to, wants us to step in. He wants us to begin to pray and ask Him to reveal Himself in unusual ways. Not that our attention is on the unusual way, but our attention is always on God the Father, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Manifest Presence.